Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, choir, orchestra, praise band, Zach. We've sung praises to our God. It's good to sing praise to our God. Now let's open up His Word and enjoy the good that He wants to do in our lives this morning through this sword of the Spirit. 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Stand with me as we read together. 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You may be seated. Join with me in prayer. Father, it's good. It's so good to be in your presence with your people. We know you're always with us no matter where we go. But yet... There is something different about coming together with your people that you've called us to do, that we're, we're just being obedient. You told us to gather, and Lord, you are being faithful to meet with us and to show us yourself and to allow us to enjoy you and to worship you and to glorify you, and we're grateful for that. And as we open up your word this morning, we pray for understanding We pray that your spirit will shine that bright light into our hearts and minds to show us more of who you are, to show us your love in ways that we've never understood yet, how wide and long and high and deep it really is. And I pray that you would teach us how to be your sons and daughters, to walk with you in in assurance and in faithfulness and in love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're looking at the book of 1 John. 1 John is a letter that helps us to better understand what a faithful follower of Christ looks like. John wrote his gospel so that we might place our faith in him. He shows us the glory of God. He shows us how God the Son came and took on human flesh and his teachings and his miracles, his death and his resurrection And he says in John 20, I write these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one we've been looking for. He's the one that was promised. He is the one who makes us right with the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, he writes this letter so that those who've placed their faith in Christ... John writes this letter so that we can have assurance. 
How do you know if you've really placed your faith in Jesus? Well, this book, it tells us for those who place their faith in Him, for those who say, I know Him, for those who say, I am in the family of God, well, this is what His children look like. This is how they live their lives. And so as we move into chapter 2, we're continuing with one of three big themes in John. You see there is the social test, love versus hate. There's the doctrinal test, truth versus error, and there's the moral test that we're looking at today, the moral test, light versus darkness. God is light. Those who are in the light, those who are, have placed their faith in Christ, who are in the family of God, who are children of God, will walk in the light, and they themselves will become light. They will shine their lights. And so in chapter 2, we're, we're walking through this moral test, this assurance that he wants to give the people of God. And we find a word in these first six verses of First John 2 called sin. A word that is called sin. It's been used five times in the preceding four verses of chapter 1. And so it's a word that John is familiar with and he's working with and he's emphasizing here in our text. And it's important that we understand what sin is. John tells us a pretty good definition of sin in chapter 3 in verse 4. He said, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's disobeying and dishonoring God. God's made himself known. He's made his plans known. He's made, it, he's made his will known. And when we sin, we're dishonoring God. We're disobeying God. We're disregarding what God says. Wayne Grudem in one of the I think classic works on systematic theology defines sin like this. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. There are different words that are used in the Hebrew and the Greek for sin, but basically it means to come up short, to fall short of the glory of God. We're expected to live up to the glory of God. We're made in the image of God. But sin is what alienates us from God. Sin is coming short of the glory of God. It is crossing over. It is stepping over the line where God has drawn a line in the sand. It is crossing that line. Sin is failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. It alienates us from God. It's what makes us enemies against God. No wonder Jonathan Edwards, as God was working to bring in an awakening uh, in early America in the 1700s, preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Because he understood sin. And he knew that sin was serious and sin had to be addressed. And God took takes sin seriously. And wrath and punishment must be poured out on sin. When you really understand sin, hell makes sense. When you understand sin, a life just breathing and living is all just grace from God. Each day is an opportunity, is grace from God. 
Well, as John is writing in this chapter 2, again, remember, he uses this theme of assurance through light and darkness. It's a moral test. When someone's walking in the light, he or she obeys God's command. Sin is darkness, obedience is light. And the first sentence of chapter 2 is just filled with grace. My little children, this older, wise sage who's walked with God for many years, now inspired by God to write this letter, says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What a grace-filled verse that God wants to help us with our sin problem. We noted in chapter 1 that we are sinners and none of us are without sin. If somehow we think that we're basically good and not sinners, we're liars. If we somehow think, well, now that I'm saved, then sin doesn't matter, well, we're deceived. And if somehow we think that we can attain perfection in this life, in the flesh, in the world, we're, we're deceived. Chapter 1 makes all of that clear. So what does God do to help us? In the meantime, before we get to heaven. And this letter is teaching us that. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. God provides assistance for keeping his commands. First part of the assistance is his word. You get that in chapter 1, verse 1. I'm writing these things. This is God's word. All of God's word. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. God's given us instructions. He's given us help. He's given us assistance. We don't have to wonder, is this right or is this wrong? Should I do this or should I not? The Word of God gives us everything we need to know about living life. It's sufficient for all of life. There are principles in this book that will help us with no matter what we face. I love the 2 Timothy 3.16 because it it gives us a pretty good description of how the Bible addresses all that we face. Remember it says all scripture is God-breathed or is inspired, 2 Timothy 3.16, and is profitable or useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching what is right, rebuking what is not right, correcting how to get right, training how to stay right. Everything that's right about life, God has revealed it to us in the Word of God. It's sufficient for us. We can't live outside the Word of God and expect to be able to live obedient lives. These are His commands. This book is from Him. And John is writing part of it in this letter And he's saying, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. So that you you have the help that you need. You have the direction that you need. So much so that if you kept on in Psalm 119 and you read verse 11, many of you know this already, your word have I hidden in my heart, treasured, uh, stored up. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's, it's the Word of God. And so the Word of God is, is His way to help us and to direct us and to convict us and to move us in the right direction. If there was a young man in the congregation struggling with sin or an older man in the congregation so, struggling with sin, I'd say, come to the Word of God. 
One of my first questions, are you spending time each day in the Word of God, letting God speak to you, shape you, convict you, direct you, give you what you need for that day? Give us this day our daily bread is a very physical text. But even more than that, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God provides assistance through the word of God. And we can't expect to live obedient lives. We can't expect to live in the light apart from the word of God. We come together collectively to hear the word of God preached. But each day as you are going about your life, you're making decisions about what's most important in your life. And if your relationship with God is most important and you walking with Him and being obedient to Him, how could we not set aside time every day to be in the Word of God? God provides assistance through his word. I'm I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. Jesus, when he faced the temptations of the enemy, what did he say? It is written. He came back to the very word of God. But as it goes on in verse 1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Provides assistance through his word, the word of God, but also through the work of Christ. Look what Jesus has done for us. Because we are sinners, and even though we're born again, we live in the flesh, and we still have that pull and that desire to sin, when we do cross that line, when we come short of the glory of God, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate... Is someone who takes your side, stands up for you, defends you, pleads your case. Some people will use it in terms of a defense lawyer. It's an advocate for you. Stands up for you. So when you sin, here you are, you're you're out of fellowship with God. It's not that you lost your relationship, but you're out of fellowship. God's disciplining you. Maybe your assurance is even waning, and the Holy Spirit is drawing you to God, and He begins to convict you. And you think back to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, say the same thing about our sin that God does. He's faithful and just to forgive us, not because we deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for us. He's our advocate. And so when we confess our sins, it, 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 it should be God would say, you've come short of my glory. You don't deserve forgiveness. But Jesus is our advocate. He lives to ever intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. And as our advocate, he takes our side and says, Father, I paid for that. I paid for that sin. He's been forgiven. He pleads our case. He's on our side. So that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous, he's the perfect one, the one who lived without sin. This is why it's so important that we see that he not only lived in the flesh, but he lived a sinless life in the flesh. He was qualified. He is the lamb without spot. He is the lamb without blemish. He never sinned. And what he did for us is he took our sin upon himself. Another key word here 
not only is advocate important, but when you look in verse 2, it says he is the propitiation for our sins. Think about that word propitiation. It's kind of one of those big theological words. There's a really good website. Students, write this website down, gotquestions.org. It's probably one of the most solid websites. Don't just Google questions. You get all kind of weird stuff. Some of it even looks religious, and oftentimes it's from cults who've figured ways to get their websites up at the top of a Google list. But you can go to a website like gotquestions.org that's put together by some good godly followers of Christ. And notice how they define this word. The word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction, specifically toward God. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and being reconciled to him. Jesus, the righteous one, the sinless one, the spotless lamb of God, took the punishment that you and I deserved. Because God is holy, he must punish sin. And Jesus on the cross took our sin upon himself and he experienced the punishment that you and I deserve. He satisfied the wrath of God. And so as Jonathan Edwards is preaching his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of of an Angry God, he gives us word picture of how precarious we are because at any moment any of us could leave this earth, we could breathe our last. And he said, it's like if there's a spider web and there's a large boulder that's thrown through the spider web. That's how precarious our lives are. We're just like that spider web that at any moment could be gone, done. And so instead of receiving the punishment we deserve... God did something for us. The bad news is the wages of sin is death. The good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly, the sinless uh, for the sinful. He who knew no sin became sin for us. It's propitiation. He satisfied the just requirements of a holy God. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. You could never atone for your own sin. Some of you have been working for a long time. You think, if I could just do this, or I could just be good enough, or if I could cross this box off, if I could... And some of you have been working really hard with your lives, and you could never earn it. You could never save yourself. You could never be good enough because you will always fall short of the glory of God. Nobody can live up to that holiness and perfection of God. All have sinned, every one of us. Even those that you think this person is a good person, this person would give you the shirt off their back, they're still falling short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. Everybody needs this redemptive work that Christ has done. The price that he's paid, it's a free gift. It is by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But think with me. We're, we're, we're all here, we're for the most part brothers and sisters 
Most of those who are in this room are people who've placed their faith in Christ. There's some who have been on that borderline who've been thinking, I know I need to, and, and today may be that day. But this message isn't just for us who have already placed our faith in Christ. Notice it's for the whole world. He died for ours, our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Some of you have read some of the deep theological writings of John Piper. And he said in his uh, deep theology, the end of this verse means, don't hog Jesus. You're supposed to share him with other people. There are more people that need to come into the family. There are more people that, that he is working on and drawing to himself and we're responsible for this next generation. Part of what we do when we come together as the body of Christ is that we're equipping and we're sharing the depths of the gospel when we're preaching it to ourselves so we can grow deeper in it. But we're also preparing ourselves to go out in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities to share this good news about Jesus. It's a little bit tricky to share. It's offensive to say you're not good enough to go to heaven. Some people think pretty highly of themselves. I'm, I'm good. I'm better. You know, I, I mean, we, we, be, we began to measure ourselves according to other people. Well, I'm better than this, but at least I haven't done this. And, and when people began to measure, them, measure themselves according to the standard of God, they began to see, oh, I am a sinner. I am lost. I do deserve punishment. I do deserve eternal separation from God. God's called us to reach this next generation. All right, so point number two. We've seen God provides assistance through his commands. But now we see he provides assurance through keeping his commands. Look, look on in verse three. And by this we know that we've come to know him. How do you know? How do you have that assurance we, we get that question all the time. I think it's one of the most common pastoral questions that gets asked. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm in the family of God? And this, this whole book is there for us. But he says to us in verse 3, By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. You see, keeping his commandments doesn't get you into the family. It's by the grace of God. It's a free gift. You place your faith in Jesus' death on your behalf and his resurrection. And you become his follower. You confess him as Lord. That's the beginning of the, being a part of the family of God. And so we don't keep his commands to get in the family. But we keep his commands because we are in the family. We're working out our salvation. We're not working for it. We're working it out. And if salvation is in you, it's going to become evident because you're growing in your relationship with God. God provides assurance. How do I know I'm saved? Well, I've placed my faith in his death and resurrection. I, I've confessed him as Lord. And I'm growing in keeping his commands now. It's, God's changed my heart. The light has shone in my life. And now instead of darkness, I'm longing for the light. And when sin does happen, it's painful. You see, if you say you know him, but don't keep his commands, what do the text say about you? You're a liar. 
So if you, if you say you know him but don't keep his command, that category is liars before God. If you say you know him and keep his commands, look on in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So if you say you know him and keep his command, you're lovers of God. You're not liars before God, but you're lovers of God. You understand his love. You receive his love. You obey him in response to his love. His love is perfected in you. You're becoming more and more like Christ. And just like Jesus said, I've come to do my Father's will, you become driven like Jesus was driven. To love your Father in heaven, to give your all, to sacrifice for Him. See, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. His love is perfected. You become more and more like Christ. You're not sinless on earth, but you should begin to sin less on earth. God's growing you. You long for His commands. And look at this third point with me. God provides an example for keeping his commands. It's verse 6. You could really back up to verse 5 at the end of verse 5. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, Jesus didn't sin. It's very clear in Scripture. You can go back and read that. 1 Peter chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 4, even what we've already seen today. He didn't sin. Even in his most horrific time of suffering, Jesus didn't sin. You see, that's when I think we're probably our weakest. And unless we continue to lean on him and grow in faith in him, that's when we are tempted the most, I think, by the enemy to abandon ship and to say, what's the use of even trying? Jesus, in his most difficult moments of suffering, remained faithful and steadfast. His tolerance level for temptation is so much greater than ours. If we believe the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is seed you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but will also provide a, a way of escape. If we believe that, Jesus felt the full extent of temptation because of his perfection. Our temptation is limited because we're still growing. Jesus and his perfection felt it like no one has ever felt it. Jesus did not sin. So Jesus' followers are following him. That makes sense. He, he obeyed his father and those who follow him will obey his, follower, his, his father. Jesus' followers are following him and the goal is to be like Christ. That's what God's doing in our lives. And that's what chapter 2, verse 6 says. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We're following Christ. And for Jesus, the pain of sin was much greater than the pain of self-denial. Holiness, Jesus. Holiness. The pain of sin was much greater than the pain of self -denial. He'd rather... Give up his life in submission and death than to sin. And the more we grow in Christ, the more painful sin is. When the light hits that sin, it's like, oh, God, how could I be so deceived? How could I...
astray. How could I blow it in that area of my life? John Owen said it like this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Isn't that a great statement? If you've not heard it before, it shows us the devastation of sin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be in the word. Search the scriptures. Read it daily. Pray. Ask God for his help. Fellowship with believers. Live a transparent life before others who are around you, who love Jesus and love you. Get involved in discipleship, having an older woman as a younger woman pouring into your life or having an older man as a younger man pouring into your life. Students and children sitting at the feet of your parents to say, I want to learn more about what it really means to follow Christ and trying to be present and participatory in family devotions. You preach the gospel to yourself over and over. Look what God has done for me. How could I do any less for Him? When you're brought into the light, you hate sin. It's a It's offensive to God, and because it's offensive to Him, it becomes offensive to you. You can't stay in the darkness. Now, when you take away this message from these first six verses in chapter 2, the emphasis there is keeping His commandments. And and John put it in his gospel, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a very clear message we get in Scripture. But I would say to you this morning, keeping his commands is an impossible assignment. You, will, you could never live up to God's standard. You, you need a savior, a rescuer. You need a, a snake crusher, Jesus. You need a sin bearer, Jesus. You need a soul deliverer, Jesus. And once he saves your soul, he shines his light into the darkest places of your life. And you begin to love obedience and his commands Because you love him and you trust him. Come to Jesus and live. Build your life on a firm foundation. Some of you are living in a lot of doubt rather than assurance. Build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning... The altar is open. We'll have pastors who are available after the service as well. We we want you to surrender your life to Christ, not because that does us any good, but we want you to experience what we've experienced with fellowship with our Father and His Son, Jesus. If you've been struggling as a follower of Christ and you've not been obeying His commands, this altar is open. Repent. Turn to God. Do you want that assurance? If you say you're in Him, you will obey His commands. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We pray that it would do its good work in our lives right now. Bring conviction to us. Lord, we we love You. We love living in the light. And we pray that that light would shine right now. That whatever sin that You're convicting us of, even in this moment, that would confess it to You. Repent. Turn to you and away from the sin. God, do that work in us that we cannot do ourselves. And we know that if we confess our sins, thank you for being faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.